0: Is real. The world is not real. Brahman is the world. Shankara. In this episode, I'm excited to be sharing with you some profound lessons about life from Aztec non-duality. Now you might wonder, Leo, Aztec non-duality is such an obscure, impractical topic. What's the point of talking about this? Well, actually, you're going to find that it's very practical. And it's also going to interconnect things in your own mind. Because many people don't know that the Aztec people were uh, non-dualists. And you'll be amazed to see all the interconnections between Aztec non-duality and Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, and everything that we've been talking about. So this here, I'm going to be reading to you from a specific article a lengthy article uh, from the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy. The article is entitled Aztec Philosophy, written by James Maffey of the University of Maryland. And what's so remarkable about this article, as I was reading it, is that it struck me as the most elegant and most complete description of God and spirituality that I've ever read anywhere, coming from this sort of obscure Aztec source. And it blew my mind, and so I wanted to share it with you. This is a very big-picture, overarching view of what the spiritual path is all about. And this is also another way that we can talk about God. So we'll be describing and explaining what God is from the Aztec perspective. And, of course, it's going to be exactly what I've been telling you all along throughout all of my other videos. So, uh, without further ado, let's get right into it. Now, I'm going to be reading here and quoting extensively from this article. Of course, I've cherry-picked sections. I'm not going to be reading the whole thing. If you want, you can go online and find this article and read it all the way through yourself, which I, of course, I highly recommend you do. Uh, But I'll be reading it here for you, the most juicy parts. There will be some technical language and terminology that I will sometimes come across as I'm reading. And I'll point that out to you and we'll discuss it. I'll be giving a lot of commentary on the stuff that I'm reading based on my own direct experiences of non-duality and God. And for now, the one term that I want to point out to you so you understand is the word Nahua. Nahua. I'll be saying this word a lot as I'm reading. And what that word refers to here is it refers to the Aztec people. So technically, in the academic literature, they're referred to as the Nahua, their language is referred to as Nahual or Nahuali. And this is is a is a broad language group that encompasses the Aztecs and various other Mesoamerican peoples that lived in that area across uh, many different eras so here is their spirituality here's what it looks like quote at the heart of Nahua philosophy stands the thesis that there exists a single dynamic vivifying eternally self-generating and self-regenerating sacred power energy or force what the Nahua's called Teotl, or God so this is another technical term Teotl. We'll be saying this one a lot, so remember it. Teotl is just the Aztec term for God. Moving on. Quote: Elizabeth Boone writes, "The real meaning of Teotl is spirit, or a concentration of power as a sacred and impersonal force. Teotl continually generates and regenerates, as well as permeates, encompasses, and shapes the cosmos as part of its endless process of self-generation and regeneration." That which humans commonly understand as nature, for example, the heavens, the earth, rain, humans, trees, rocks, animals, etc., is generated by Teotl from Teotl as one aspect, facet, or moment of its endless process of self generation and regeneration. Yet, Teotl is more than the unified totality of things. Teotl is identical with everything, and everything is identical with Teotl. Since identical with Teotl, the cosmos and its contents ultimately transcend such dichotomies as personal versus impersonal, animate versus inanimate, etc. As the single, all-encompassing life force of the universe, Teotl vivifies the cosmos and its contents. Term: Teotl. We'll be saying this one a lot, so remember it. Teotl is just the Aztec term for God. Moving on. Quote: Elizabeth Boone writes. The real meaning of Teotl is spirit, or a concentration of power as a sacred and impersonal force. Teotl continually generates and regenerates, as well as permeates, encompasses, and shapes the cosmos as part of its endless process of self-generation and regeneration. That which humans commonly understand as nature, for example, the heavens, the earth, rain, humans, trees, rocks, animals, etc., is generated by Teotl from Teotl as one aspect, facet, or moment of its endless process of self generation and regeneration. Yet Teotl is more than the unified totality of things. Teotl is identical with everything, and everything is identical with Teotl. Since identical with Teotl, the cosmos and its contents ultimately transcend such dichotomies as personal versus impersonal, animate versus inanimate, etc. As the single all-encompassing life force of the universe, Teotl vivifies the cosmos and its contents. End quote. So, this is sounding a lot like Buddhism, a lot like Taoism, a lot like the yin and yang aspects of spirituality. And that's exactly right. So, a theme that's going to be developing here within this Aztec philosophy of God is that God is a shapeshifter and takes on many forms and that what the universe is and God is just synonymous with the universe is sort of a meta-organism that is alive and sentient and what it's doing is it's moving through an endless cycle of generation and regeneration taking on an infinity of different kinds of forms from the earth to the rain to humans, trees, rocks, and animals and so forth and that this is what unifies everything so everything is one totality and this totality is called Teotl. but also Teotl separates itself and incarnates itself into all the various forms that are a part of this infinite totality so moving on quote Theotol is both metaphysically immanent and transcendent. It is immanent in that it penetrates deeply into every detail of the universe and exists within the myriad of created things. It is transcendent in that it is not exhausted by any single existing thing." End quote. So you see this issue comes up for example in Christian theology very commonly is is God immanent or transcendent? And what that question means is, is God in the universe or is God outside and beyond the universe? And, of course, the answer is both simultaneously. That's the paradox of God. It's a superposition of both, immanence and transcendence. So everything that is happening right now as you're watching me, everything in your room that's going on, wherever you are, that's the imminent. That's the real tangible world that you know. And then the transcendent is the formless beyond that, formless consciousness. So both are actually identical. They're happening simultaneously. You are both inside of God, but you are also the overarching unification of the entire universe, which is also God. See, the universe can be thought of as one large thing, the entire universe, but simultaneously the universe contains all the little tiny stuff in it, ants and viruses, atoms, molecules, and all of that. And the Aztecs understood this. Going on, quote, Nahua metaphysics is processive. Process, movement, becoming, and transmutation are essential attributes of Teotl. Teotl is properly understood as an ever flowing and ever changing energy and motion, not as a discrete static entity. Teotl, that word, refers to the eternal universal process of Teotlizing, end quote. I love that. So what we're saying here is that rather than thinking of the universe as an object, like a chair, think of it as a process, like a waterfall. It's just a never-ending stream of stuff pouring forth, and it's ever-flowing and ever-changing energy and motion. And so you can think of God traditionally as a noun, as an object, as a thing. Or you can think of God now as... Teotalizing or godding. What is God? God is the process of godding. What is the process of godding or teotalizing? It's, uh, it's the never ending process of things coming into being and out of being. That is what the universe is. Moving on, quote, although essentially processive and devoid of any permanent order, The ceaseless becoming of the cosmos is nevertheless characterized by an overarching balance, rhythm, and regularity, one provided by and constituted by Teotl. Teotl's and hence the cosmos' ceaseless becoming is characterized by what I call dialectical polar monism. Dialectical polar monism holds that, one, the cosmos and its contents are substantively and formally identical with Teotl, and two, that Teodal presents itself primarily as the ceaseless cyclical oscillation of polar yet complementary opposites. End quote. So that is precisely what the yin yang symbol from Taoism is supposed to represent. So the universe is both non dual and dual at the same time. What we mean when we say it's non dual is that it's all unified and it's one entity, Tayotl, and you can become conscious of that. That is the monism term that is being used here. And then that term, polar, dialectical polar, dialectical polar, what that means is that like the yin and yang, there's the black and the white, the, the light and the darkness, the good and the evil, and that they're always at interplay with each other. And that's not a contradiction. monism or to non-duality that's actually what non-duality is is it includes within it all the duality, it's the unification of all dualities and so the mistake that many scientifically minded people rationally minded people atheistically minded, materialistically minded people make is that we get caught up in the duality of everyday life but we don't see the overarching connection of everything And of course a materialist will respond by saying, well, but Leo, I understand that the universe is one thing, reality is one thing, and yet even though you understand that perhaps intellectually, you're not really grasping the significance of what it means to understand that everything is really one unit, and that you are intimately connected to the entire universe. You're missing the monism part, and you're looking at the world dualistically most of the time. And that becomes a problem because you're overlooking the biggest picture possible. And you're also not seeing that this cyclical oscillation of polar opposites is absolutely necessary and integral to how the universe is functioning. So a lot of people, they get uh, wrapped up in in these various quixotic ideas of how they want to transform the world or how they want to change society. And they get this silly idea that, oh, well, we can just stop all the bad stuff and just maximize all the good stuff and then it'll be heaven on earth without realizing that you can't do that because the very nature of the whole universe is that it's an interplay between various oscillating and polar opposite forces that are complementary to each other and that this is fundamental to the whole thing and so you're not going to change that dynamic moving on quote Teodol's process presents itself in multiple aspects preeminent among which is duality. This duality takes the form of the endless opposition of contrary yet mutually interdependent and mutually complementary polarities which divide, alternatively dominate and explain the diversity, movement and momentary arrangement of the universe These include being and not being order and disorder, life and death, light and darkness masculine and feminine, dry and wet, hot and cold Active and passive. Life and death, for example, are mutually arising, interdependent, and complementary aspects of one and the same process. Life contains the seed of death, death, the fertile, energizing seed of life. End quote. So you see, this is exactly what I was just describing. And, uh, you know, some people get it in their mind that death is a bad thing and that if All that humanity does is just find some way to keep ourselves immortal through genetic engineering or some technological singularity, uploading your brain to a computer or something like this, Um, that somehow you're going to, you're going to escape this polarity between life and death without realizing that you can't have life without death and you can't have light without dark and you can't have masculine without feminine. And so a lot of the problems that we have collectively as societies is we're, We're not striking that right balance and we're not understanding that the universe has to move dualistically, dialectically, through these different polar opposites and navigate through this sort of dynamic process, maintaining this equilibrium sort of like balancing on a unicycle and that you can't ever stand still on a unicycle. You always have to be moving, but at the same time balancing. And this is the dynamic balance of life, which is so critical that so many people miss. Whether it's with your relationships, or with your business, or with your health, or with how much television you watch, or how much time you spend on video games or the internet. It's not that these things are bad. It's not that porn is bad. It's not that sex is bad. It's a question of, are you able to strike the balance? And we'll be returning to this topic of balance over and over again. Because it really is one of the central themes of spirituality, and living the good life, which is why we're talking about any of this in the first place. Moving on, quote, According to Nahua duality, order and disorder, life and death, etc., alternate endlessly without resolution. It neither conceives death as inherently evil and life as inherently good, nor advocates the conquest of death or the search for eternal life. The created cosmos consists of the unending cyclical tug of war, or dialectical oscillation of these polarities all of which are the manifold manifestations of teotl because of this the created cosmos is characterized as unstable transitory and devoid of any lasting being order or structure yet teotl is nevertheless characterized by enduring pattern or regularity how can this be so teotl is a dynamic sacred energy shaping as well as constituting these endless oscillations it is the imminent balance of the endless dialectical alternation of the created universe's interdependent polarities. End quote. One of the mistakes that materialists and scientists make is they tend to assume an objective external world out there somewhere behind the scenes, which is totally static and unchanging. And they conceive of the physical laws as static as unchanging. And various kinds of physical constants, the gravitational constant, and so forth, as static and unchanging, as absolutes. And instead, what we get with this Aztec metaphysics is we get a different picture. We get a picture of the universe as having no static point. So there's no anchor that grounds it, which means that literally there's no reality. Reality is simply the arising of whatever appearances are arising right now. And those, of course, are forever changing. And that's exactly what Buddhism teaches. Buddhism teaches a very central principle of impermanence. And it's very important to become conscious of the impermanence of reality. Otherwise, what happens is that we cling to people, our pets, our family, our business, our money, our health, our age, Our ideas, our life, our country, some technology. But all these things are constantly changing. Toyota is constantly renewing itself, building on top of itself forever. Which means that it has to let go and shed off old things. And of course many of the problems we have socially, culturally, is that a lot of people... They cling to their guns, they cling to their religion, they cling to their uh, way of doing business, they cling to their philosophy, they cling to their Bible, they cling to their economic ideology, whether it's capitalism or Marxism or whatever. People cling to these things and then they refuse to let them go, which is really sort of like they're trying to grab onto the waterfall and to kind of like hold it in place without realizing that this is delusion and insanity. Because the waterfall's nature is to always be falling down and always to be renewing itself. So even though you can try to cling to certain parts of reality and try to hold on to them, eventually, every human body dies. Every species goes extinct. Every planet gets destroyed. Every star is exhausted and burns and blows itself up. Every technology becomes obsolete. Every language changes and morphs. Every country and every government changes and gets destroyed and gets overthrown and goes through revolutions. Um, everybody loses their youth. Everybody loses their health. Uh, you see? So you can't, you can't maintain yourself that way. And, and even in, in your own personal life, just your own body, think about how much your own body has changed over the span of your whole life. Imagine what would happen if you were seven years old and you said... You know, damn it, I just want to stay seven years old, and I'm going to try to maintain my body the way it is at seven years old. You can see how that leads to a lot of dysfunction, right? Because you have to be open to, to the ever-flowing nature of Teodal. Moving on, quote. Because essentially processive and dynamic, Teodal is properly characterized neither by being nor not being, but by becoming. Being and not being are simply two dialectically interrelated presentations, or facets of Teotl, and as such, inapplicable to Teotl itself. Similarly, Teotl is properly understood as neither ordered nor disordered, but as unordered. Indeed, this point is fully general. Life-slash-death, active-slash-passive, male-slash-female, etc., are strictly speaking not predicable of Teotl. Theodal captures a tertium quid, or a third kind, transcending these dichotomies by being simultaneously neither alive nor dead, yet both alive and dead, and simultaneously neither orderly nor disorderly, yet both orderly and disorderly, etc. End quote. This is precisely the paradox of non-duality. Is that even though Teotl or God contains these various qualities like male and female, active and passive, life and death, and big and small, and so forth, it also simultaneously transcends all these dualities. And so it can't be pinned down to being any one particular thing. And that's what makes Teotl so tricky to grasp and to understand for human beings. Because as human beings, we're part of the contents of reality. And so we're used to looking at the contents or forms of reality and thinking that if something is real or something exists, it must be a particular way. It must be either a male or a female. It must be big or it must be small. It must be rational or it must be irrational. But it can't be both and it can't be neither. And it certainly can't be both and neither at the same time. But yet that is precisely what the universe is, looking at it from the biggest picture perspective possible. And this is what we mean by saying that God is everything, but God is also simultaneously nothing. Not those things. So even though God is a man and a woman, it is a tree and a car and a dog and a planet and a star and a galaxy. It's all those things, but simultaneously none of those things are the totality of God or Teotl. Moving on, quote, In the end, Teodal is essentially an unstructured and unordered seamless totality. In Western philosophical terminology, one perhaps best characterizes the radical ontological indeterminacy of Nahua metaphysics as an extreme nominalist anti-realism and Teodal as a Kantian-like noumenon. End quote. So, Here, this passage has a lot of uh, sort of fancy uh, philosophical terms. What it really means here is that reality is not how materialists and realists conceive of it to be. Nahua metaphysics and non-dual metaphysics of any mystical tradition is fundamentally anti-realist, which denies the existence of a static, fixed External objective reality. And Teodal is what Kant called the noumenon. So the noumenon is that which is beyond all phenomenon. So phenomenon is all the shapes and colors that you see. We might call that perceptions. And the noumenon is some other invisible aspect. Or the nothingness. The void. Which is holding all of that. Or you could call it consciousness or awareness. Pure consciousness is the noumenon of Kant, and it is Teotl. Moving on, quote, Nahua philosophers also conceive Teotl pantheistically. Of course, a everything that exists constitutes an all-inclusive and interrelated unity. B, this unity is sacred. C. Everything that exists is substantively identical, and hence one with the sacred. D, the sacred is Theodal. There is only one thing, Theodal, and all other forms and aspects of reality and existence are identical with, Theodal. And finally, E, Teotal is not a minded being or person. End quote. That's exactly right. We're talking about pantheism, or also pan They're really the same thing. Yes, we have this unity. But also you have to realize that it's not enough to realize that the universe is one single entity or unity. You also have to realize that it's sacred, which is, which is difficult for many atheists to wrap their mind around. Um, and you ha- also have to realize that, that that this unity is not a person in the way that orthodox religions conceive of it to be. So this is the critical mistake of Classical Orthodox Christianity or um, other religious traditions, even in Hinduism, you know, they have a lot of avatars which take on anthropomorphic human forms. And all of this fundamentally misses the point that Teotl is formless. God is formless. But uh, pantheism is precisely correct, it is what mysticism is. It is the core truth at the heart of every single major religion in the world. Pantheism. But because pantheism is scary to many spiral dynamic stage blue orthodox people, what they do is they deny, and this is is amazing, the mental gymnastics that orthodox religious people go through to deny the pantheistic nature of God. So if you are religious and you're not conceiving of God pantheistically, you're, you're getting your religion wrong, whether you're a Christian, a Hindu, uh, a Jew, or a Muslim. right? And of course, it's precisely because what pantheism says is that God is identical with the entire universe. And it's precisely because you are part of the universe that you literally are both a part of god but also all of god simultaneously which freaks so many orthodox religious people out because they want to separate themselves from god which is why fundamentally they deny pantheism moving on quote theodles ceaseless generating and regenerating of the cosmos is also one of ceaseless self transformation and self retransformation the cosmos is Teotl's self-transformation and self-transmutation, not his creation ex-nilo. The Nahuas understood this process to be in two closely interrelated ways. Teotl is a sacred artist who endlessly fashions and refashions itself into and as the cosmos. The cosmos is Teotl's, quote, flower and song. As Teotl's flower and song, the cosmos is Teotl's grand, ongoing, Artistic, come metaphorical self-presentation or Teodol's ongoing work of performance art or metaphor in motion. End quote. So, it's a, a bunch of uh, words there. Let me describe what this means. So, the universe is Teodol's work of art or as the Aztecs called it, the flower in song. So, The entire universe is God's flowering or coming into being. It's an artistic thing. you got to see the beauty of the universe. And that's the whole power of spirituality. That's the whole appeal of being spiritual is that you get to then, by becoming conscious of Teotl, in everything, you then get to see the beauty and genius of this artistic uh, work of performance art that is the universe. And it's an infinitely beautiful thing, which people miss out on. Even many religious people miss out on this. So you gotta, you got to see, to really appreciate life at a deep level, you have to see the artistry of life. The artistry of what God is doing here. And just how brilliant and amazing it is. And this is precisely what many materialists and atheists completely miss. Because they're so stuck in their head, they're so stuck in the left hemisphere of their brain, that they only see the world as just this, this, this dumb mechanical system, this clockwork. Of random stuff happening. With no meaning and no purpose. And it's just sort of like this. Cold bleak universe. And it's just like very mechanical. And scientific and logical and mathematical. Without bringing in. The heart component. They're missing the heart. Because they're so stuck in their. Left hemisphere of the brain. Moving on quote. Secondly. The Nahua conceived Teodal self transmutation. In shamanic terms. The cosmos is Teotl's nahual or disguise or mask. The word nahual derives from nahuali signifying a form-changing shaman. The continual becoming of the cosmos and its myriad aspects are Teotl's shamanic self-masking and self-disguising. End quote. This is absolutely critical to understand. Notice that the word nahual means disguise or mask and the Nahual people the Nahua people they, uh, they call themselves the Nahua which derives from Nahuali which is a form changing shaman so literally they name themselves after shamans which is of course right because the shamans have the highest wisdom so it would be right to name yourself that and it would be right to name your language that and of course A shaman is always going into disguises and wearing masks. And this symbolizes the fact that that's what God is doing. So the reason that the shaman is wearing masks and various disguises and is considered like a shapeshifter is because Teodil, or God, is a shapeshifter. And that's such an important metaphor to understand why God is so difficult to understand. Because God is... Shifting its shape all the time, and as a shapeshifter, you might think, "Well, but what is God's real form when it's not shape shifting? When God isn't being a tree or a mountain or a cloud or a car or a woman or a man or a dog, what is God's true shape?" And the mindfuck of it is, is that God has no true shape at all. God's true shape is no shape. And when you think about it, that's Brilliant. It's actually an ingenious design because, look, if you wanted to really be the best shape shifter you could be, so to speak, you would need to make yourself totally empty. Because if you weren't totally empty, there would be some part of you which disrupts your ability to take on some shape totally. Right? Like, you couldn't totally become a tree because there'd be some part of you, some essential nature or form that you had, which is getting in the way. For example, you as a human being, if you want to be an actor, the problem with that is that you have a certain form that you have. And so you can't really be the best actor you can be in a certain sense because, like, you know, a man can't really play an effective woman in a movie unless he's just doing like a parody. Um, and, you know, a white man can't really play an effective black man, nor vice versa, in a movie, right? Because, like, you have to get rid of your whiteness to be able to fully embody blackness. And you have to get rid of your blackness to fully embody whiteness. And you have to get rid of your femaleness and your maleness. And you're, whether you're a short actor or a tall actor, you know, that limits what kind of roles you can play. But the whole genius of God is that it's not limited to that, so therefore it literally is completely empty. And then it can take all forms and all shapes. And that explains why God is so difficult for people to find. And to, for people to grasp with the mind. Is because the thing you're trying to grasp is the fact that God is the shape shifter. And then of course, right now, it's shapeshifting into you. And shape-shifting into me. And what's happening right here, even though it looks like it's a man over here, sitting talking to a camera. And you over there, either a man or a woman sitting there. Listening to me, making sense of all this. Although it seems that that's what's happening. Actually, this is God's mask. This is God's disguise. This is God's performance art. And you need to be able to be smart enough to see through that, which requires consciousness and intelligence, which few people have. And so, therefore, when they're told about God, they think, oh, God's just a belief, just some fantasy. (laughs) But what you don't understand is that you got to be conscious of what's going on here. You know what it's sort of like? Pointing out God to an atheist or to a materialist is so frustrating because they're so dense. <laughs> it's almost like we go to a rainforest and there's like a beautiful chameleon sitting on a branch, or a beautiful owl sitting on a branch. And I'm walking through with you, and, and you're the atheist or the materialist, and you you've never seen one of these owls or chameleons. And I point to it and I say, Look, look at it. There's the owl, there's the chameleon, there's the butterfly but because your eyes are not accustomed to looking through the camouflage of the chameleon, of the owl, of the, of the butterfly, their camouflage is so perfect that they completely blend in with the jungle. And so you look at me and you say, Leo, what are you, stupid? What are you, crazy? What are you, insane? You're hallucinating. There's no owl there. There's no chameleon. There's no butterfly. It's just the jungle. It's just a tree. It's just a branch. It's just a leaf. But of course... You would be able to see the butterfly or the chameleon or the owl if you spent a lot of time just observing them in this jungle. But because you're here for the first time, you can't even believe. It's outside of your realm of belief and possibility that there could be this amazing owl sitting right a few feet away from you and you can't see it. It's like, Leo, there's no such thing as owls. Well, there's not for you because you haven't spent enough time observing these owls because they're so well camouflaged. God is the perfect chameleon. It's able to perfectly camouflage itself. And so it's pointless in a sense to ask for evidence of God the way that materialists do in the same sense that you can ask for all the evidence in the world of an owl that's camouflaged on a tree branch. But unless you're able to grasp the outline of the owl, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm pointing to it. The evidence is there. You're being pointed to the evidence all the time. The evidence for God is everywhere all the time. You're so deeply immersed in it, that's precisely why you can't see it. You have to be able to, to sort of grasp it or grok it at once. You have to go "Uh uh-huh oh that's what this is oh yeah that's the owl oh yeah that's the chameleon oh yeah that's the butterfly i see the butterfly see and the mistake that the materialist make is that he says oh leo but you need to you need to provide proof prove to me that that's an owl it's like no i can't prove to you this an owl you got to be able to see it to see the owl so i love this metaphor this for me this is my favorite metaphor for god is that god is a shapeshifter This explains why God is so deceptive, why God is so tricky, why it's so confusing, why your own mind prevents you from being able to see it because that's the whole thing we're dealing with here. And of course, in Hinduism, this notion is known as Maya. We're talking about Maya here. So notice all these interconnections between the Aztec descriptions of God and also many of the Eastern ones. And of course, in the West... They have the notion of the devil. You might think, well, Leo, but the Christian God, the Christian God, isn't deceitful. Uh, in a sense, it is, because in the in the Christian God, there is the devil. In the Christian conception of God, and the devil, of course, is a trickster and a shapeshifter. So that is sort of the devilish nature of God. God has this devilish side to him, which you could call Maya or the devil. Moving on, quote, Teotl artistically come shamanically, presents and masks itself to humans in a variety of ways. One, the apparent thingness of existence. For example, the appearance of static entities such as humans, mountains, trees, insects, etc. This is illusory since one and all are merely facets of Teotl's sacred motion. And two, the apparent multiplicity of existence. For example, the appearance of discrete, independently existing entities such as individual humans, plants, and mountains. This is illusory since there is only one thing, Teotl. And three, the apparent exclusivity, independence, and irreconcilable oppositionality of dualities, such as order and disorder, life and death, etc. This is illusory since they are interrelated, complementary facets of Teotl. End quote. So... What we're talking about here is the illusory nature of Teotl, The illusory nature of reality. The deceptive nature of your own mind. Are you noticing these themes coming up over and over again as you're doing personal development? As you're growing? As you're learning about your own emotions? As you're learning about the counterintuitive nature of life? As you're learning about things going full circle? I've talked about all these things in the past. Go check out all those episodes that I have about all those topics. You need to start to see that your own mind is the thing that's getting in the way of you being fully conscious of everything in the universe. And all of your problems fundamentally stem from this one problem of illusion and delusion and self-deception. And that's what you need to put your attention and energy towards. Not that other people are deluding you with conspiracy theories. Not that some religious fundamentalists and fanatics are trying to recruit you into their cult. But that your own mind is tricking you constantly. Your own mind is shaping the way that you see everything. Because it's affecting how you interpret all of these perceptions. And it's radically changing what's right before your eyes without you even being aware of it. Your mind is creating various kinds of conceptual contexts which are helping you to make sense of the world around you and that this is where the chief delusion is rooted in. In that. Including your sense of self. And your sense of evil and suffering in the world. Right? It's all rooted in the various ways in which your mind tricks you and the way that it tricks you, the reason it tricks you rather is because that's necessary for you to be able to survive as yourself, as the illusion that you are that's how Teodal created you God didn't just take some matter and assemble it together to create a human that's not how God created you God created you by tricking itself into believing that it's a human and that it's not God. Ta-da! You see? And the reason that's possible is because everything, all of this, the entire universe is just the mind of God. There is no physical substance to it. So, God can imagine anything, including being a human, which is precisely where you find yourself right now. Moving on, quote, As an epistemological consequence of Teodal's self-disguising, when humans customarily gaze upon the world, what they see is Teyotal as a human, as a tree, or as a female. For example, they see Teodal self-disguised, rather than Teodal as Teodal. As we shall see shortly below, wisdom is what enables humans to discern the sacred presence of Teodal in its myriad disguises. End quote. This is critical for you to understand. Even though Theodal is everything, including that tree, that man, that woman, and so forth. These are the disguises that Theodal is wearing, which you are fooled by as an ordinary human being. And the point of spiritual practice, the point of consciousness is to be able to penetrate through the veil of the illusion and to realize what the illusion or the disguise is really hiding behind the scenes, which is Teotl as Teotl. So this is the emptiness, the void, the formlessness, the godhead. That is Teotl as Teotl proper. But Teotl as disguised ...is a human, a tree, a car... ...and your body and your mind. You see? So the point of self-inquiry... ...is for you to realize... ...Tayyotl in its pure form... ...in its empty form. To stop confusing it... ...with its formed versions. Because you might wonder like... ...Leo, what's the point of doing self-inquiry... ...if you say God is everywhere then why should I look inside of myself to ask myself who I am or what I am when I can like look at a tree and just say, that, well, the tree is God, the car is God, that woman is God? Why, why do self-inquiry? Well, you're doing self-inquiry because you want to get to the root of, of the fact that you yourself are God and you want to get to that pure realization of Teotl as Teodal, not as a disguise. So you're using the neti-neti method that we've talked about. You're using the neti-neti method to eliminate all the disguises of God in order to get to God in its most pure form, which is just pure empty consciousness or awareness or nothingness. You see? And wisdom is your ability to do that. And so the reason that many scientists and atheists and materialists are incapable of doing this of course, theists are incapable of it as well in most cases, uh, is because they lack wisdom. And this is why IQ is so irrelevant to living a good life. It doesn't matter how high your IQ is. Because your IQ does not give you the wisdom that is required to see through the illusion or the self-disguise of Theodal. And that is fundamentally what allows you to be a good human being and to live life well and to be happy, and to avoid delusion and falsehood. And this explains why many very intelligent scientists and PhDs in Harvard in Stanford and Yale and other places all around the world who run fancy laboratories and they have fancy experiments and fancy technology and all of this, and they have billions of dollars of research funding and all of that, and they have a bunch of Nobel Prizes, but they don't have enough wisdom to realize that all of the science and research that they're doing is happening within a dream that they're doing it within the matrix. Because for that, what's required is not reason or logic or intelligence because those are aspects of the dream, aspects of the delusion. You need wisdom to be able to break through it, to see through the disguise of Teodol. And that's good news for you if you don't have a high IQ. <laughs> it means uh, you're not screwed. Next, uh, next section, quote, Teotl possesses metaphysical, epistemological, moral, and aesthetic facets in that it functions simultaneously as the source, object, and or standard of reality, knowledge, value, rightness, and beauty. Although the priests, nobility, and sages embraced its monistic aspect, the uneducated masses tended to embrace the polytheistic aspects of Nahua metaphysics. State-sanctioned Aztec religion construed Teotl as the supreme god named Amateotl. Amateotl literally means to God, our mother, our father, or the old God, as well as a host of lesser gods, stars, fire, and water. Amateotl was the god of duality, a male female unity who resided in Amameokan, the place of duality, which occupied the highest levels of the heavens. Amateotl fathered or mothered her or himself, as well as the universe. Amitayotl provided the universal cosmic energy from which all things derived their original as well as their continued existence and sustenance. She, he provided and maintained the oscillating rhythm of the universe. And she, he gave all things their particular natures. End quote. So, if you want to think of God, you can think of God as literally this two-sided figure with one male half and one female half, if you really want to anthropomorphize God properly. Or just as the yin and the yang, the way the Tao's do. Quote, In virtue of these attributes, she, he was called the one through whom all live, and the one who is the very being of all things, preserving them and sustaining them. Because metaphysically imminent, Amit Hayodil was called, quote, The one who is near to everything and to whom everything is near. Amiteotl was called the one who is, quote, invisible like the night and intangible like the wind. End quote. Exactly. They're describing the Godhead. They're describing pure consciousness. And that's very difficult to point to. And that's what all non-dual teachers are trying to do. They're trying to point to the unpointable. How do you point someone who isn't conscious to what consciousness is? That's the whole difficulty of teaching non-duality. Because consciousness is invisible like the night and intangible like the wind. So you can't prove it. You can't give people evidence of it because evidence is a form. Proof is a form. Whereas consciousness is formless. You see? So if you're looking for proofs and evidence for consciousness, you're never going to grasp consciousness, which is exactly the problem with science. Because science only admits of the existence of forms. And it doesn't admit of the unformed. Because science is a formed activity. Which is where mysticism comes in. Which is why you need the field of mysticism to be able to teach you other kinds of techniques which will allow you to grasp the ungraspable. To find the gateless gate, the groundless ground. To find the invisible and the intangible. That's right here, right now, but you're overlooking it because you're stuck in it like a fish in water. Quote, Because they saw everything earthly as Teotl's self-disguise, Nahua sages claimed everything earthly is dreamlike. Nahua sages conceived the dreamlikeness or illusoriness of earthly existence in epistemological, not ontological terms illusion was not an ontological category as it was, say, for Plato. Nahua sages employed the concepts of dreamlikeness and illusion as epistemological categories in order to make the epistemological claim that the natural condition of humans is to be deceived by Teotl's disguise and to misunderstand Teotl, Not the metaphysical claim that as Teotl's disguise, all earthly existence is ontologically substandard and not genuinely real earthly existence provides the occasion for human misperception, misjudgment, and misunderstanding. The dreamlike character of earthly existence, the mask of unknowing which beguiles us as human beings, is a function of our human perspective and Teodol's artistic self-disguise, these being ultimately one and the same. End quote. So again, you see every great mystical tradition and sages throughout history, Buddhist ones, Hindu ones, others, talking about reality as though a dream, as though it were a dream. That it's an illusion, it's a mirage, it's not real. You could also call it a hallucination. That's what psychedelics reveal to you, is that everything is a hallucination, including this very moment right now. That's what it means to say that the universe is a giant mind. And so, The problem with being a human is that we misperceive and we get wrapped up into this illusion. And we deny the dreamlike qualities of reality because we need it to be real, to believe in it. You see? When you're growing up, you need to, you need to feel like your mother and father are real things. You don't want to feel like they're illusions. Likewise, when you're being religious, you need to feel that God is a real tangible thing, a man or a woman in the clouds, someone you can count on, not some empty formless thing, not some shape shifter, not some trickster. You know, when you're running a business and you're earning millions of dollars, you need to feel that those millions of dollars are real (laughs) in order for you to keep doing that. You don't want to realize that millions of dollars are just an idea in your mind, a concept, a fantasy, a pure illusion, that money is just a pure human invention? See? When you're creating some kind of moral legal system and you want to tell people to stop murdering and raping and going to war and thieving and all this sort of stuff, you need to believe that you're grounding these rules into something real and tangible. Because how do you convince millions of people to all agree that murder is wrong? Only by getting them to believe that it's really wrong. It's objectively, truly, really wrong. Now that's not true, of course. But that illusion is necessary in order to build up a civilization. If that's what you want to do. And so illusion is at the heart of all survival activities. Which is why humans don't want to give it up. Which is why we're filled with so much misunderstanding. And why we miss God so easily. Because we've really traded God or truth for our illusions, because our illusions help us to live. And that's totally understandable. But then it also explains why God is so difficult to understand and why there's so much confusion and controversy around it. It's really a function of you being human that you miss Teotl's artistic self-disguise. Because as a human, you care about living, not about art or truth. moving on here. Quote, When Nahua sages characterized earthly existence as ephemeral and evanescent, they did so not because earthly existence lacks complete reality, but because as facets of Teodal's disguise, they are subject to the endless oscillations of dialectical polar monism. Illusion is a function of our mistaking the commonly perceived characteristics of the myriad shapes, structures, and entities of Teodal's disguise as characteristics of Teodal itself. In sum, the Nahua's epistemological conception of illusion does not commit them to an ontological dualism between two different kinds of existence, illusion and reality, and is therefore consistent with their ontological monism. End quote. See, so materialists or dualists might object to non duality on the grounds that they say, well, Leo, you talk about illusion, and then you talk about the ultimate truth, and it seems like these are two separate things. You're talking about the ego as if it's an illusion. You're talking about the earthly realm, it's all illusions. And all the survival and human stuff that we do, that's all illusions. And then you talk about some ultimate absolute truth, the Godhead, the infinity. So isn't that duality? And of course the answer is no. Because those two things are precisely identical. But you need to become conscious of that. You see? So first, in your awakening process, what you need to do is you need to separate illusion from absolute truth and then it'll seem like the material physical world is just an illusion and the absolute truth that's the real truth the godhead but you don't want to get lost in that because if you do if all you do is you just say well the absolute void that's, that's the only truth and reality earthly existence is all just delusion and illusion if you, if you take on that as a worldview, then you will be a dualist actually Not a non-dualist. If you want to truly, fully embody non-duality, you have to bring that absolute truth back and you have to realize that, oh, the absolute, even though I could distinguish it from the illusions, at the same time, I could collapse that that distinction and realize that they were one and the same the entire time, which is precisely why it was so difficult to separate them in the first place because they're identical. So what are you doing when you're trying to separate them? You're trying to really do the impossible. But really... Reality is relative, so it's possible for you to separate them out by looking at it one way, and then possible for you to integrate it back together by looking at it another way. Right? So re- what it means to say that reality is relative is that depending on how you look at it, you can see two different things in the same way that if you look at a half-filled glass of water... One person can look at it and say well it's half full Another person can look at it and say well it's half empty Which is true, both are true simultaneously And you need to be able to 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 look at that glass In both ways And you need to be able to jump back and forth But the monism or the, uni- the unity Or the non-duality Part of this whole metaphysics Is that there's only really one glass there The glass is not In one state of fullness And another state of of half-emptiness. It just is one thing. But you can see it in two different ways, depending on how you look at it. Moving on, quote, A further consequence of monism is the metaphysical impossibility of human beings perceiving de-ray anything other than Teotl, for Teotl is the only thing to be perceived de-ray. Now, just as an aside, what d ray means is to see something Directly, not through a veil of perceptions or through some process, but to literally become the thing. So, for example, rather than seeing a tree, you become the tree. Going on now, quote, but then how can Nahua sages claim that humans normally misperceive and misunderstand Teotl? Humans normally perceive and conceive Teotl de di dicto or under description. That is, as maleness, as death, as night, etc. When doing so, they perceive and conceive Teotl's self-disguise and consequently perceive and conceive Teotl in a manner that is untrue, unrooted, inauthentic, unconcealing, and nondisclosing. It is humans misperceiving and misunderstanding Teotl as its disguise which prevents them from seeing Teotl reality, as it really is. End quote. This is super important. Did you get this? So there's two ways that you can perceive reality or perceive God. You can perceive God in its disguise which would be de dicto or de re, you can perceive it directly. To perceive God directly is to be conscious of God. To perceive God indirectly de dicto through description as a particular form that is What's delusion? Illusion, misunderstanding, misperception. And that's when you see physical reality. So where's God? God is right here. All of this is God. But Leo, it doesn't look like God. Right. Because you're looking at it the wrong way. You're looking at it under description. You're looking at it indirectly. So uh, this this is the whole trick of trying to perceive God. You need to go... Beyond your descriptions. Beyond specific forms. And you don't know how to do that. You need to be trained in how to do that, which is where meditation and yoga comes in, and self-inquiry and psychedelics. Moving on, quote, The only way humans experience Teotl knowingly is to experience Teotl sans description, which means minus description without description. Humans experience Teotl knowingly via a process of mystical style union between their hearts and Teotl that enables them to experience Teotl directly, that is, without mediation by language, concepts, or categories. One comes to know Teotl through Teotl. One's perception and conception are no longer befogged by the cloud of unknowing. Note, however, that although metaphysically imminent within human hearts, Theodal is nevertheless epistemologically transcendent in the sense that humans are not guaranteed knowledge of Theodal. End quote. You get this? So, the way you access God is through mystical union, and the only way you can know God is through God, which is another way of saying that the only way you can discover what consciousness is is not through a scientific inquiry, not through neuroscience, not through equations, not through models, not through ideas of consciousness happening in some brain somewhere, but directly. You must become consciousness to know what consciousness is because consciousness is the only thing there is. There's nothing else. If you're not conscious of what consciousness is and you're lost in forms, by definition, you're not conscious. And so, of course, you don't know what it is. This is the critical mistake that neuroscientists make, or even philosophers, many Western philosophers make, when they try to resolve what's called the hard, problem of sci- uh, the hard problem of consciousness, or it's also called the mind-body problem. Western philosophers aren't able to resolve it because they're doing their philosophy using concepts, language, and categories, which is an intermediary which is preventing them from realizing and grasping directly what Teotl is. Of course, Teotl is language and concepts and categories, but Teotl is more than that. And so long as you're lost in language, concepts, and categories, you're lost within Teotl's disguise. See? That's why it's so tricky. And you're not guaranteed knowledge of Teotl. Precisely because this trick is being played and you're playing this trick on yourself. You might ask, well, but Leo, why, why why would God be so cruel as to hide himself from me and let me live my whole life without discovering him? Well, since you are God, since you are Teodol, you're doing it to yourself. So stop doing it. So the only beef you should have is with yourself. Your own mind is getting in the way. It's not that God is hiding from you. It's that the very... Sense of you is separating you from God. So surrender that separate sense of you, otherwise known as the ego, which you have, and then you'll see Teotl everywhere. It's really just that simple. Next, quote. A fundamental metaphysical difference thus divides the underlying problematic of Nahua and Cartesian style Western epistemology. The latter, the Cartesian, Conceive subject and object dualistically, and the relationship between subject and object as one mediated by a veil of perception. That's the standard materialistic scientific paradigm. The subject access to the object is indirect, being mediated, for example, by appearance or representations of the object. The Nahu is epistemological representations of the object. The Nahu is epistemological problematic, on the other hand, conceives the subject and object monistically. And the relationship between subject and object in terms of a mask, end quote. So this is really the difference, the key difference between what we might call Western philosophy and Eastern philosophy. Is that Western philosophy tends to be very dualistic and materialistic. And it tends to divide the world into subjects and objects. And as soon as you do that, you create a big problem. This is the problem, how do you know anything? Because as the subject over here trying to know some object like God, how can you be sure, Leo? How can you know that, that you're not deluded when you're knowing God? So what you have to understand, though, is that to really know God, you have to collapse the subject-object duality to the point where you become God. And so, therefore, it's not that you know God, it's that you are God. And so the question of possible delusion or misunderstanding or confusion is eradicated, because you are God. Epistemology and metaphysics, the way that they're conceived of in Western philosophy as being two separate fields, they're unified. And it's, it's never going to be possible for Western philosophy to resolve the ultimate questions of, of life and reality and the hard problem of consciousness, unless they realize that epistemology and metaphysics... Are actually one and the same thing. The only way you can know a thing is by being a thing. You must get rid of this middleman of perception. The veil of perception that you think exists between you and the real world, the external physical world out there, doesn't exist. Because there is no physical world out there, there's only appearances. And appearances are immediately accessible to you all the time. Appearance just is what it is. So you actually, contrary to what you believe, you actually have direct, unmediated access to absolute truth or God right now, all the time. Because there's nothing but God. And there's nothing in the way between you and God other than your own mind and illusions. Which really isn't a thing at all. Since it's an illusion, it doesn't actually exist. So there actually is no veil. That's how tricky this is. That's how amazing this is. Is to discover that there never was a veil between you and God, or you and the external, objective, physical world. This is it right here. All of it is open to you, but you're just not conscious of the fact that it is. Wherein, you need an enlightenment experience to disabuse you of that notion. Next. Quote. The Nahua regarded earthly life as filled with pain, sorrow, and suffering. Indeed, the earth's surface is a treacherous habitat for human beings. Its name in Nahua literally means on the point or the summit of the earth, suggesting a narrow, jagged, point like place surrounded by constant dangers. The Nahua proverb, quote, It is slippery, it is slick on the earth, end quote, was said to a person who had lived a morally upright life but then lost her balance and fell into moral wrongdoing. As if slipping in slick mud. Humans lose their balance easily and so suffer misfortune frequently. They therefore desperately need guidance. End quote. So this explains our predicament here on this earth. We are trying to delicately balance ourselves on a very precarious position, on a jagged peak. And if we lean too much to one side or the other, then we're going to fall into uh, dysfunction and depravity of various kinds. And so our job as sages, as self-actualizers, as spiritual aspirants, is to maintain our balance on that jagged point and not to slip. And you know I keep telling you all the time that there's all these traps. You can fall into this trap or that trap or some other trap with this work. Well, that's precisely why I'm telling you about all these traps. These are all the ways in which you can lose your balance and uh, slip. Because it's so easy to slip. And this is what it means to be a sage. Is to learn how to balance yourself on this precarious perch that we call life. Next. Quote. Now, who sages? conceived the raison d'etre of philosophy in terms of this situation, and turned to philosophy practicable answers to what they regarded as the defining question of human existence, which was, how can humans maintain their balance upon the slippery earth? This situation and question jointly constitute the problematic, which functions as a defining framework for Nahua philosophy. Morally, epistemologically, and aesthetically appropriate human activities are defined in terms of the goal of humans maintaining their balance upon the slippery earth. All human activities are to be directed towards this aim. At bottom, Nahua philosophy is essentially pragmatic. End quote. So this contrasts much of Eastern philosophy and spirituality against Western academic analytical philosophy. The problem with the way that analytical philosophy is done these days in modern universities across US and Europe is that it's way too conceptual it's way too abstract way too theoretical and detached from the real world world problems of how do you <clears throat> how do you live a good life how do you navigate all the craziness all the delusion that's actually happening every single day in the media in the news with politics at work In your family, all this delusion, all of these beliefs and ideologies. How do you navigate all this and find the truth and maintain a sense of balance and find your place in life and live a happy, fulfilling, tranquil life and not be a devil and not contribute to evil and delusion and depravity? See, modern academic philosophy is completely disconnected from these questions. These questions were at the heart, for example, of philosophy for the ancient Greeks and Romans. They practiced philosophy so that they could be better citizens, better politicians, better orators, better speakers, better human beings, so that they could understand nature better, so they could be better scientists. But today, science has split itself so far off from philosophy, and everyday people have no connection to to academic philosophy the way it's taught, such that the word philosophy has become a pejorative to mean something abstract and philosophical and something that is disconnected from from real life like business or family or success. And so what Actualize.org is about is about returning philosophy to its its origin. The function of philosophy and the way that I teach Actualize.org is in such a way that I take abstract, esoteric, philosophical things that maybe you would learn in some university, and I show you how to bring it down to earth and how to use it to transform your own life practically, how to transform your mood, how to solve problems of depression, addiction, uh, loneliness, um, anger, fear, resistance, not having a sense of purpose in life. How to solve your career, how to align your career with your heart, how to get in touch with your heart, how to be more authentic, how to be better, uh, more honest within your relationships, uh, how to be a better leader, how to be creatively independent as an artist, how to connect with your creative source, which is, of course, Teotl. That's where all art comes from. We'll get to that in a minute. Right? So what we need is we need ordinary people who would otherwise never be interested in philosophy because they treat it as some abstraction or some theoretical thing to realize that they're actually missing out on the very heart and core of practical everyday life living. And that's precisely why most people in the West live such miserable, depressed, mediocre, depraved lives, addicted, deluded, um... Depressed, with no sense of purpose, alienated, nihilistic, and just like completely lost in life, with no idea of what they should be doing, working some dead end job at McDonald's or Starbucks. This is why this is happening, precisely because nobody is really taught true philosophy. And philosophy has turned into some mental masturbation exercise. Uh, within academia It's a very problematic State of affairs This is directly responsible for Very practical problems we have in life Including war Genocide Criminality uh, All the problems you see in politics All the diluted politics we have All the culture wars It's responsible for all of this It's responsible for climate change It's responsible for corruption within government, corruption within business, uh, oligarchies, and corporate rule. Like all of this stems from people fundamentally not being taught philosophy, proper, true philosophy, which is what I'm reading to you right now. This Nahua philosophy is the proper philosophy. It's not just Nahua philosophy, this is universal philosophy. This is philosophy that works for all humans. It's been tested across thousands of years, across all continents and all cultures, and it works. Next. Quote. To the question, how can humans maintain their balance upon the slippery earth? The Nahua answered, humans must conduct every aspect of their lives wisely. To the question, what is the best path for humans to follow? on the narrow, jagged surface of the earth. The Nahua answered, the balanced middle path, since it avoids excess and imbalance, hence misstepping and slipping, hence misfortune and ill-being. End quote. So, what modern human beings lack is not intelligence or technology. What we lack is wisdom. What we lack is a sense of balance. What we lack is a sense of context and big-picture Perspective We lack perspective on our own lives And also collectively As a society we lack perspective And because we lack perspective We are not able to balance ourselves properly And we Swing our pendulum too far To one side or to another Next Quote Wisdom aims at instructing humans How to maintain their balance like skilled mountaineers as they walk upon the narrow, twisting, and jagged path of life, upon the summit of the earth. The Nahuas conceived wisdom dynamically in terms of balancing, a conception rooted in indigenous shamanism and in their conception of Teotl. Wisdom is a characteristic of how one conducts oneself and one's affairs, not as a thing or as a set of eternal truths one grasps, apprehends, or possesses. By enabling them to walk in balance, wisdom affords humans some measure of stability and well-being in an otherwise evanescent life filled with pain, sorrow, struggle, and suffering here on an impermanent, doomed earth. End quote. So, wisdom is balance. Go check out my episode about balance, the importance of balance in personal development. Search for balance and actualize.org and you'll find it. Where I talk about this dynamic notion of balance That balance is not a static thing, but it's like riding a a unicycle. That's a very important concept, which we need to be returning to over and over and over again. Because in every aspect of your life, it comes up. And it's not enough just to understand balance generically. You need to really appreciate how to strike the right balance within business, within finances in your life, within your health, with your diet, with your exercise with your sexuality, with the way you're raising your children, how many children you have, with your relationships, with your boss, with your work, with your career, Uh, with your spirituality even, with your psychedelics, with everything that you do. How do you strike the right balance? Everything I teach is, in a sense, designed to show you how to strike these right balances. And oftentimes I tell you that, well, You shouldn't do this thing here because it's going to be too much to this side. And you shouldn't do that thing here because this will be another trap. And so I'm pointing out various traps to you, hoping that you stay in the middle and don't step on a landmine. See? So wisdom is not so much a set of fixed truths like the Ten Commandments. Rather, wisdom is the ability to actively balance yourself in life in various situations. And the better you are at balancing across more situations, the more wise you are. Next quote: How do humans become wise? They must become well-rooted, authentic, true, and non-referentially disclosing. Their intellectual, emotional, imaginative, and physical dispositions and behavior must become deeply and firmly rooted in Teotl. End quote. So that's what every religion across the world has taught you, is that for you to become wise, and for you to live a good life, you must become uh, deeply rooted in Teotl, in God. Which means you must become conscious of God. Now the problem with most religions is that they get it backwards. They try to give you a set of rules and commandments to live by, and tell you how to be a moral human being, without putting you in touch with God first. And that's precisely putting the cart before the horse, creating a lot of pathology and problems. Instead, what needs to happen is that religion, if done properly, needs to give people access to God as quickly as possible through various techniques. And then, once the person is able to access God, then the religion doesn't need to teach rules and commandments for how they should live. The religion doesn't need to moralize down to people. Rather, people, just by becoming conscious of God... Will automatically correct their behaviors and know exactly how to behave and and what to do and become, quote unquote, good, decent human beings. Next, quote, wisdom involved four ultimately indistinguishable aspects for the Nahua. Number one, the practical ability to conduct one's affairs in such a way as to maintain some measure of balance and purity, and hence some measure of well being in one's personal, domestic, social, and natural surroundings. Two, The practical ability to conduct one's life In such a way as to creatively participate in Reinforce, adapt, and extend Into the future The way of life inherited from one's ancestors Three The practical ability to conduct one's life In such a way as to participate In the regeneration and renewal of the cosmos And four The practical know-how involved In performing ritual activities which Genuinely present Teotl, Authentically embody Teotl preserve existing balance and purity, create new balance and purity, and participate alongside Teotl in the regeneration of the universe. End quote. That's it right there. That's true religion for you. See? Number one, conducting your affairs with balance. Number two, creatively participating in the unfolding of Teodos' plan and helping other people to be conscious. See? Three, participating in the renewal of the cosmos, which means, of course, living in harmony with nature. So, this idea, the way that that Christians, for example, in the United States, many, (laughs) many evangelicals and Christians, the way that they live, where they don't worry about the climate, for example, they don't worry about uh, global warming. Um, This is antithetical, fundamentally, to what religion should be about. The religious people, really, if they were doing their religion properly, should be the ones that are most concerned about their environment, because they understand, or they should, rather, that the human being is connected with the cosmos, and we're working together in tandem. And now we need to work alongside Teotl, rather than against Teotl raping and pillaging the earth and then number four is it's, it's the practical know-how of performing these various ritual activities that help to authentically express Teotl preserving balance and purity moving on quote the Nahua universe is a participatory universe characterized by a relationship of compelling mutuality or interdependence between humans and the universe this is simply a consequence of the interconnectedness and oneness of all things not only does the universe causally affect humans but humans causally affect the universe human actions promote cosmic harmony balance and purity on the one hand and cosmic disharmony balance and impurity on the other hand end quote so you see This is uh, all about um, Having an ecological sense An ecological perspective Seeing how You And your community Of humans Your tribe Fits in with the larger whole How all of us can live on this globe In peace and in harmony With nature And with each other And with animals And with the whole cosmos See, this is what most religions are are missing because most religions are so tribal that they only care about their tribe, their people, their community, their country, and their religion, and to hell with everybody else. But this overlooks the bigger perspective that the entire universe is one whole and all of us are interconnected. This is central to what religion should be about, what spirituality is about, but what, what of course... Most religion isn't, which is what's causing all the, the evil and suffering, a lot of the evil and suffering that we see around in the world today, is because people don't take this holistic perspective and they just think of themselves as independent agents, just doing their own stuff, this sort of libertarian ideology, this toxic libertarian ideology, which is so short sighted that, hey, you know, it's all about buying individual freedoms as long as I can maximize my individual p- freedoms and profit. Nothing else matters. This is devilry. This is antithetical to how you're supposed to live life, which is why people these days are so depressed and so lost and so materialistic because they're disconnected from Teotl and from the wisdom that Teotl offers when you become conscious of Teotl. Next quote, the Nahuas conceived moral, psychological, and physical health, well-being, righteousness, and purity in terms of keeping one's balance on the earth's slippery surface, and so regarded the earth's surface as a psychologically, physically, and morally dangerous place. Nahua wisdom urged humans to act with extreme care and to follow the guidelines of the ancestors, as any other path would inevitably lead one to stumble down the earth's slopes into psychological, physical, and moral imbalance, perverseness, instability, and disease. End quote. That's exactly right, except there's a very common pathology and mistake that happens here with this. A lot of spiral dynamic stage blue people would agree with this entire passage, and they would say, yes, Leo, that's right, and that's why I need to preserve my tribe's rituals, and that's why Christianity is the best, or that's why everyone needs to believe in in Allah. That's why the Quran is the best, or this is why Buddhism is the best. You see, we got to preserve the traditions of our ancient Buddhist ancestors. <laughs> but that's not right. That's too ethnocentric of a you. You can't just blindly preserve ancient traditions. You also need to take account of the shifting nature of Teotl and the fact that technology and society is changing rapidly at an ever-accelerating rate. And the reason that Our society is so troubled today. The reason so so many people are sick, depressed, getting cancer, getting heart disease, obesity, um, the reason there are so many people in poverty, and many, many other social problems that we have is precisely because as a society we haven't developed a modern philosophy, non-dogmatic, non-ethnocentric philosophy that All of us can agree on a common set of values grounded in Teotl that we can all agree upon. Of course, to do that, we would need to become all conscious of Teotl first, which is why it hasn't happened. Um, We don't have this. And so what we have is we have different tribes and factions thinking that their value system is the only right one, trying to dominate every other one. And so we just have this free-for-all system where everybody's just fighting for themselves. And then even we've got atheists who are now fighting against the religious people because they think that atheism is the solution to everything, right? And they're just as deluded as the religious people. And so it just it, it it's uh, it's all happening fundamentally because none of these people are directly conscious that they are teotal and what it means to be teotal. So they don't have that wisdom that they would have if they became conscious of teotal. And so that's why our Earth right now is on the brink at a tipping point ecologically, politically geopolitically, socially culturally and so forth is because we're screwing up our balance economically we're out of balance as well with rampant capitalism and people are taking sides and just becoming more and more polarized and more and more ideological and dogmatic about it Next quote Yet the dire situation of humans on Earth did not prompt the Nahua to reject earthly life in favor of some other worldly life. The Earth's surface is the only realm wherein humans enjoy the full potential for well being, since only here are their various vital forces fully integrated. The Nahuas resolved to live as best they could, and indeed, earthly life does allow some measure of well being, like sleep, laughter, food, sexual pleasure, conjugal union, and procreation. Yet these were scarce, momentary, and needed to be taken in moderation as any excess resulted in imbalance." End quote. That's exactly right. The trick with balance, which spiral dynamic stage blue people, religious people, don't understand, is that they think they can codify balance into a set of commandments or rigid rules that can be followed mechanistically. This isn't true balance. It doesn't work. So, again, the fundamentalist religious people will agree that, yeah, Leah, we need to take sex and food and other things in moderation. But the problem is, is that these people are not thinking for themselves. They have like a set uh, of, of commandments that they need to follow, that they need to not do, and they think that if they just stick to those commandments, that that's going to that's gonna allow them to navigate and to balance properly. It doesn't. Because the environment is changing all the time. So the Ten Commandments, maybe they were great. 2,000 years ago, they might have worked. Even back then, it it certainly wasn't enough to balance properly. But it might have been a good foundation. But today, if you're still sticking to the Ten Commandments, and you think the Ten Commandments of 2,000 years ago are going to work for today, or you think some Sharia law from thousands of years ago of of Muslim interpretations of the Quran is going to apply to today and work in today's world, with today's uh, ever globalizing uh, culture and economy and, and all of this, it doesn't work. It creates tension, it creates chaos, it creates evil. So you need to learn how to balance without moral rules, without commandments. Next quote Nahua philosophers saw humans as creatures yearning for rootedness, that is, for a deep, firm, and lasting anchoring in their lives, and who restlessly search for it. Obtaining well-rootedness enables one to become an upright man, to live a balanced, pure, and genuinely human life. Without roots, one finds neither balance, purity, nor humanness. Obtaining well-rootedness is difficult, and in their search many humans give their hearts to what appears to be well-rooted and authentic, but is not. Since this cannot provide grounding and stability, humans inevitably become dissatisfied with it and abandon it, only to begin their search anew, oftentimes repeating the process over and over and over again. End quote. Is this ringing any bells? Are you seeing how you're doing this? What are the ways in which you're trying to root yourself? But it's not working. You might try to root yourself in religion. It doesn't work. You might try to root yourself in pickup and chasing girls. It doesn't work. You might try to root yourself in business and chasing money. It doesn't work you might try to root yourself in video games chasing after the new latest greatest video game that's released and every single one of them ends up disappointing you and leaving you feel worse you might root yourself in pornography and that doesn't work you might root yourself in some drugs and that doesn't work you might root yourself in a relationship and starting a family and that also doesn't work none of this can work because that's not well what well-rootedness is you can't root yourself in material forms which are impermanent The only proper root is teodal. God. You must become conscious of God. That is the proper root. And of course, that is the rootless root. The groundless ground. There's no real root there. And that's precisely what roots you. That's the paradox of it. You might wonder, well, Leo, how can I root myself in nothingness? (laughs) But that is the only true root, is nothingness. Uh, the better question is how can you root yourself in somethingness how can you root yourself in the ten commandments when the commandments change how can you root yourself in a language when the language evolves and changes how can you root yourself in your country or in your national identity whether you're a German or an American or um, Japanese when national identities change boundaries change cultures change what are you trying to root yourself in Are you trying to root yourself in your body, your physical body? Well, how can that work when your physical body is going to deteriorate, age, and die? There's only one true root, which roots you absolutely, which is the absolute. (laughs) Absolute truth. Absolute truth is the only unchanging thing. But that also means that it's nothingness. Moving on, quote. Their hearts inevitably become scattered, unbalanced, and lost. Such humans become vagabonds, wandering about aimlessly from one illusion to the next. They become beastly, unstable, unbalanced, impure, perverse, dull-witted, intemperate, and vicious. They fail to realize their humanness and merely appear to be human. They become deceivers, rogues, and dissimulators. They, quote, act on things with their humanity dead, end quote. They are, quote, lumps of flesh with two eyes, end quote. And quote they are defective human weights end quote so take a look isn't this perfectly describing the state of the world today depraved vagabonds wandering around from one illusion to the next doesn't this perfectly describe our politics our business environment, our economy everything within the church religions, geopolitics in your own life all your friends everybody you know your family aren't they just deceivers rogues and dissimulators isn't that what you are aren't you a rogue a dissimulator a deceiver of course starting with the deception of yourself that explains the state of the world if you wonder why there's so much suffering in the world here's your answer nobody is rooted in Teotl. Hardly anybody is. So, the ultimate root solution to all of humanity's problems is to ensure that people get rooted in Teotl. That everybody gets rooted in Teotl. This is the ultimate solution. The problem, though, is that you can't force people to do it. Because if you force people by trying to religiously indoctrinate them, the way they do in the Middle East, or the way Christians do, or the way Buddhists do, um, it's actually going to backfire and actually make the problem even worse. Because you can't substitute for a direct consciousness of Teotl with mere ideas and dogma and ideology about Teotl. Because that dogma and ideology doesn't have the same effect. It doesn't come with that higher state of consciousness which is then what leads to proper decent life and proper decent interactions between human beings and other human beings and human beings and their environment next quote humans are born quote faceless with undeveloped powers of judgment and they need other humans for the education and discipline needed for acquiring a quote face for becoming balanced and becoming fully human Developing a proper, quote, face and heart is only possible through the opportunities provided by well-ordered social living. Unstable, foolish, and diseased, the loner slips constantly upon the path of life. One's home, neighborhood, polity, and environment are healthy or diseased, depending upon whether they are balanced or not. Personal, domestic, and social balancedness are interdependent. Imbalance, impurity, and ill-being are contagious. End quote. And so again, we're continuing to describe all the ills of society and culture today. Is this right here. See, we don't have a proper education system. That is our biggest deficiency right now, is the state of our education system. We're teaching children the wrong things. We're not preparing them for being decent human beings. And by this, I don't mean we need to religiously indoctrinate them. I mean we need to teach them philosophy metaphysics epistemology spirituality meditation self actualization self improvement nutrition fitness health proper scientific thinking within certain bounds not in the materialistic unlimited sense that it's taught today see we need to teach for wisdom not teach children how to memorize answers for tests and so because of this our neighborhoods, our polity our environment, our health is all polluted and diseased and this pollution this disease spreads across everywhere like a cancer through the internet across Facebook, across YouTube, across newspapers, across the television screen into neighborhoods, through medicines into the business Uh, sectors, into various industries, whether it's pharmaceuticals or the military-industrial complex or big oil. It spreads into the government. Its tentacles go everywhere. It's a contagion. It's a mind virus that infects everyone's mind, and it makes everyone materialistic and disconnected from Teotl, behaving like animals rather than the spiritual beings that we could be. This is the state of modern society. And it's our job to... Cure the contagion. But you have to be careful... With curing the contagion... Because a lot of times what happens... Is that naive people... Ignorant people try to cure the contagion... Thinking that they know the cure... And their cure actually ends up being part of the contagion... Which just spreads the contagion even further. And that's what a lot of... Religions do. Because like I said before the devil co-ops religion to uh, guide people away from Teotl. Moving on, quote, the aim of cognition from the epistemological point of view is walking in balance upon the slippery earth. An epistemologically appropriate inquiry is that which promotes this aim. To say a person cognizes truly is therefore to say that she cognizes with well-grounded stability or well rootedly. Nahua philosophers thus possessed a concept of truth, but they conceived truth in terms of well groundedness and stability, and well foundedness and well rootedness, not in terms of correspondence, aboutness, representation, reference, fit, or successful description. In short, they understood truth non semantically. A big problem with the Western intellectual tradition as a whole. Western philosophy and Western science is that we treat truth as a set of propositions or statements, such as snow is white, grass is green, the sun shines in the morning, the earth revolves around the sun, and so forth. But this is really an improper conception of truth. Truth is a non semantic notion, truth is a non linguistic notion. Truth sits deeper than language or concepts or ideas or our models of the universe. So that's what is so difficult about truth is that language doesn't allow you to root yourself in the truth. And so then how do you spread truth on a massive scale? Well, that's the whole challenge of philosophy and religion and science and uh, epistemology is that you really can't. You need people to actually have direct insight which nobody does the work to have. And so everybody is fundamentally disconnected from truth. And that means that nobody is really well-rooted. And because you're not well-rooted, you're a devil. And you run around looking for pleasure and solutions to a never-ending stream of problems. Have you noticed that you have problems in your life to infinity? They never end. Every problem is followed up by another problem. Every problem you solve just creates more problems. It's because you're not rooted and you're not addressing the root problem that is sourcing all of these more minor problems. Next quote The Nahuas characterized persons, things, activities, and utterances equally and without equivocation in terms of truth. And they understood truth in terms of well rootedness in Teotl. That which is well rooted in Teotl is genuine, true, authentic, and well balanced as well as non-referentially disclosing and unconcealing of Teotl, Created things exist along a continuum ranging from those that are well-rooted in Teotl and hence authentically represent and embody Teotl, as well as disclose and unconceal Teotl, at the one end, to those things which are poorly rooted in Teotl and hence neither authentically embody and represent Teotl nor disclose and unconceal Teotl, at the other end. End quote. So you see, This is describing a sort of higher transcendental good or transcendental beauty that comes with spiritual awakening, is that you can categorize human actions and behaviors and creations in terms of a sort of a spectrum of those things which are reflecting the truth of Teotl and those which are not. Those things which are unconcealing Teotl, helping to raise the consciousness of mankind and ourselves... And those things which are not. See? So, let's give an example of what's being meant here. So, we're talking about truth. But don't think of truth as just some abstraction. Think of it this way. Like, if we take a can of Coca-Cola and we say, is this a truthful object? Is this in alignment with Teodol? We would say, of course not. It's on this end of the spectrum. Because what is this Coca-Cola doing? It's filling children with sugar, which is destroying their health, making them obese, making them hyperactive and ADHD such that they can't learn properly. We're putting this Coca-Cola in vending machines in schools. We're advertising it all over the TV, on the Super Bowl and other places, all around the world. We're not regulating this product We're not putting limits on the corporation of Coca-Cola in the way that it advertises this all around the world. Coca-Cola is raking in billions of dollars selling this Coca-Cola. Do they care about the health that they have on the human population? Of course not. Do they care about eliminating sugar from their drinks? Of course not. Do they care about making a healthy drink? Of course not. In fact, what they do is they lobby the government to make sure that the government doesn't regulate this stuff And to make sure that they can export this stuff all around the world very cheaply with no tariffs, no taxes, no regulations whatsoever. And that this stuff is actually not um, treated as junk food. Literally, American junk food manufacturers have to lobby government in order to prevent the government from placing labels on junk food telling the populace that it's junk food and that it's damaging to your health and they actually get this this legislation passed such that in various free trade agreements between um, America and Canada and Mexico and all this um, they've banned the placing of junk food labels on junk food you see so it is devil this, this whole Coca-Cola dynamic is pure devilry you see it's pure deception it's untruth and fundamentally, all of this contributes to people not being able to access Teotl, Because when children are, are so ADHD that they can't even focus and meditate for 20 minutes, and they're so obese that they get various kinds of diseases, and then they become so addicted to video games and other things, uh, all of this comes together in such a way that then the connection from ever accessing Teodal is completely lost. You see, and then even if somebody comes along like myself, who wants to maybe deliver a little bit of truth by teaching Teotl, can I actually do it on a on a broad scale? No, because the entire advertising and marketing ecosystem in the world is completely dominated by players like Coca-Cola and giant banks and giant oil companies and giant pharmaceutical companies and so forth. That someone who's actually teaching Toyota can't compete with that. Can't compete with the millions of advertising dollars that are necessary to actually spread this message in the proper way. See, because they take up all the oxygen in the room. And I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm not really whining about that. I'm just giving you an example here of how how this really works. So, as a society, what needs to happen in the future is that we need more institutions, corporations, and entities, organizations that are helping to create products and services and systems which are more revealing of Teotl, revealing of the truth, so that more people have access to that. And then through that process, Teotl will become more apparent to everybody, showering everybody with wisdom, allowing us to live better together, both individually and collectively. That's the ultimate solution, and I hope you can see how practical that is. Truth is not just some abstraction. Truth permeates every single aspect of your life, and when you're not connected to truth... By definition, you're living in falsehood and delusion, which leads to depravity, which leads to all the problems that you have in your life, individually and collectively. Next, quote, humans come to know Teotl using their heart, not head or brain. The heart serves as a center for teolia, that vital force which induces humans towards that which alone fills their emptiness and gives them roots, Teotl. Knowing requires that one possesses a, quote, teotalized heart. That is, a heart charged with Teotl's sacred energy and enjoying sacred presence. The, quote, teotalized heart possesses an extraordinary amount of tealia. One possessing a teotalized heart has Teotl in his heart and is, quote, wise in the things of Teotl. quote. So, this is. The difference between being focused and based from your left hemisphere to your right hemisphere the right hemisphere is more holistic more integrated you could also call it your heart it is connected with your heart it's holistic whereas the left hemisphere is very rational logical demanding proof and evidence for things and so when you try to live your life and you try to do philosophy from the less hemisphere from your brain from your head and not enough from your heart what you get is you get the the common problem that you find today in modern academic philosophy within academia in general the way that science is done you get the materialistic paradigm that we talk about you get rationalism reductionism scientism you get <clears throat> denial of spirituality you get a. Uh, Ignorance about psychology, ignorance about self-deception, ignorance about states of consciousness, denial of states of consciousness, believing that states of consciousness are just byproducts of the brain, believing that God is just a byproduct of the brain, all of this is part of the Spiral dynamic Stage Orange phase of cognitive development, where people are really stuck in their heads. And by going beyond that, and by experiencing Teyal directly, you realize that There is an uh, an awakening of the heart, which happens. And then you start to live your life from your heart, rather than your head. And the more you do that, the more you connect with Teotl. the more wisdom you have, the better things go in your life. The more satisfied you are, the less diseases you have, the less despicable of a person you are, the less selfish you are. And the more you fulfill your mission in life, which is to love if you want to know more about that, go check out my episode called What is Love, where I talk about that. Next quote. The Nahua word for heart. And remember, Nahua just means Aztec. So, the Aztec word for heart derives from the Aztec word for movement. This indicates yet another way in which the heart is the organ best suited for knowing Teotl's way. Teotl is essentially movement. A teotalized heart moves in balance with the movement of teodal, and as a result, moves knowingly. As one's heart comes to move knowingly, one becomes, quote, wise in the things of teodal. One comes to have teodal in his heart. Teodal presents and discloses itself to and through one's heart. End quote. And this is why many spiritual traditions talk about love and talk about compassion, and talk about the heart. It's big within the Christian tradition, but it's also big, for example, within Buddhism. They teach compassion. They teach something called love and kindness meditation. Many religions teach prayer of various kinds. Uh, The Sufis talk about the love of God. That's from Islam. Because the more conscious you become, that you are Theodal, the the more your heart opens because you realize that you are intimately connected with the entire universe. You are the entire universe. And then comes the letting go of judgment, the letting go of tribalism and demonization. And Ultimately, what you can experience is you can experience Platonic, existential, metaphysical love as one facet of Teotl. Because Teotl loves everything, God is all loving. And you can then realize that since you are God, you also can love everything. Next quote Teotl is ultimately ineffable, since it is undifferentiated and unordered a seamless totality. Consequently, humans only experience Teotl knowingly, in a manner unmediated, unspecified, and undefined by language, concepts, and categories, along with their divisions, classifications, and distinctions. These are facets of Teotl's disguise, or mask, and thus contribute to humans de dicto misperceiving and misunderstanding of Teotl. To the degree that language, concepts, and categories are essential to human reasoning, humans thus understand Teotl non-rationally. Alternatively expressed, Teotl only genuinely discloses itself non-linguistically, non-discursively, non-rationally. End quote. So we already touched on this, but it's such an important point that it bears repeating again. You can't get to Teotl linguistically, discursively, semantically, rationally through proofs and models and equations, you cannot quantify Theodal. Because Theodal is infinite. And all of your models and quantifications are finite. So you're never going to succeed in that. Stage orange, spiral dynamic stage orange people, cannot cope with this truth. Because they want to be able to quantify all of reality. And they want to be able to model all of reality. But they're forgetting that they themselves are Theodal. How do you quantify yourself? So you need some sort of practice which goes beyond language and symbols. And so one way to talk about enlightenment is we can talk about it and term it non-symbolic consciousness. Ordinary human consciousness is symbolic conceptual consciousness even when you're thinking about the future and what you're going to do tomorrow and, you know, what you're going to do at work tomorrow. That is symbolic consciousness. You're stuck in symbolic consciousness without even knowing that you are. And so you might not be a mathematician or a scientist or an academic or a philosopher, and so you might say, well, Leo, I don't. I don't really make models of the universe or of reality or I don't use equations. I'm not trying to quantify reality. But in a sense, you are. You're stuck in, in a in, in symbolic relationship with reality because you're thinking of the future. You're living in the future. You're thinking about the past. You're living in the past. And uh, all the meanings that you assign to the world and so forth, all of this you do linguistically, rationally, and symbolically. And so it's very counterintuitive to try to move beyond that into the transrational realms, the non-linguistic, non-symbolic realms. That's difficult to do because we as humans, as a culture, we have enormous addiction to symbols and to models and to concepts. And we just have this unspoken assumption within science and within our culture, that everything that is true, that is valuable, can be grappled with symbolically. And it just turns out that that's not the case. In fact, the truth is non-symbolic, by definition. If you have a symbol of God, it's not God. It's not the truth. It is Teodol's disguise. And so you're lost in the disguise rather than seeing Teodol as Teodol. Next, quote composing and performing song poems in particular are the highest form of human artistry and the finest way for humans to present teotl since this activity most closely imitates and participates in teotl's own cosmic creative artistry now let me pause and inside here and explain what is meant by song poems don't take this too literally so of course uh, the ancient aztecs and their shamans they would literally perform songs and dance and uh, sing lyrics and so forth. That was their way of doing art and communing with Teotl and expressing the artistry and beauty of Teotl. But if we bring this term more into modern times, you can think of any human art, whether it's speaking, film, video games, painting, poetry, writing books and novels, whatever kind of art you do, this is what the Aztecs referred to as song and poem. So, quote, Hence, song poems, rather than discursive arguments, are the appropriate medium of sagely expression. And sages are, perforce, singer-songwriter-poets. Flower and song comes from a ritually prepared heart, which embodies and presents a proper balance of reason and passion, male and female, active and passive, etc., End quote. So art plays a very important role in human life because the whole purpose of art is to display and glorify the virtues of Teotl And the only way you can be a great artist is by having a strong teotlized heart and a connection, a direct connection to truth, which is Teotl" The less connected you are to truth, the more your art comes from egotism and artifice and deception and illusion, the less beautiful the art is. So I'm telling you all this for, the, for all you artists out there who um, really want to nail your art. You need spirituality even more so than you need your technical skills for your art. Because all of your creative ideas, that comes from the Godhead, comes from Teotl. Teotl is the creative source of all of existence. And since you are Teotl and you want to create, you need to be connected with yourself. As long as you're an artist who's disconnected from Teotl yourself, then your art will not be authentic and true, and therefore it will not be beautiful. And all the most beautiful art. Is that art which helps to display and reveal Teotl in some way? Whether it's through a song, through a book you write, it could be fiction, it could be nonfiction, it could even be your art. It can be science, you know. The greatest scientists like Albert Einstein, for example, or Nikola Tesla. What were they doing? They were connected to Teotl. They were conscious of themselves as Teotl, and then they were expressing that through their scientific work. Same thing with like Isaac Newton, for example or Kurt Godel, or Georg Cantor, many brilliant mathematicians and scientists and logicians uh, of, of past times, they were geniuses, precisely because they were pursuing Teodal and connected to Teodal, at least in some fashion. Now, I'm not saying all of them were enlightened. I'm just saying that they had an unusually strong connection to Teodal. In some sense. It doesn't mean that they were fully enlightened. Um, and that's why... You know, most artists, of course, in society, most of our greatest artists, they're not enlightened. But they have some sort of intuitive connection to spirit or to the creative source from which they draw their inspiration, whether they're a rapper or a film director or... um, um, just a traditional artist painting on a canvas, like Picasso. So... The more you connect with Teotl, the better your art becomes. Next. Quote, Acquiring a Teotlized heart and becoming knowledgeable of Teotl also requires that one engage in flower and song. Artistic activity epistemologically improves one's heart, causing it to move in balance with Teotl and hence move knowingly. By engaging in creative artistry, humans imitate and participate in, albeit imperfectly, the self-transforming, Cosmic creativity of Teotl. In so doing, they fashion their hearts after Teotl. See, it goes both ways. It's a two way street. By doing good art, you come to better understand Teotl. And by better understanding Teotl, you come to do better art. Hmm? And so this also ties in now with life purpose. So one of the reasons most people are so dissatisfied with their life, because they work lame nine-to-five jobs, which are not their art. And so they spend half of their life working on stuff that they have no heartfelt connection to. And in fact, it's usually the opposite. They're working to, uh, to peddle illusion and to peddle falsehood to others. And so this becomes very depressing and soul draining. And so one of the most important pillars of your life is to find a sense of life purpose, to find a way in which you want to artistically express yourself. This is important because you as a human being, you are Teodol. And Teodol is um, getting his kicks out of life from creating so you as a human, if you're not really connected with the whole process of creating something beautiful, whether it's in science or in the domain of business or in the domain of, of traditional art or music or whatever, then uh, you're really missing out on a huge pillar of life. You are God. You're like a little mini-God that gets to create in human form. Of course, as a human, you're limited. There's only certain things you can create. Uh, you can't create as powerfully as Toyota itself can um uh, but you'd be amazed at the kind of amazing stuff you could create once you connect yourself uh deeper into teotl and then also how that makes you feel how good that feels and then also how that helps you to connect with teotl see so it's sort of like a uh, a positive vicious cycle that that goes upwards or conversely it goes downward if you're if you're not doing that so a lot of people are depressed Simply because they don't have something like this in their life. They don't have a sense of life purpose. and They're just kind of wasting it away. Uh, By the way, what what is this that's happening right now? I'm here talking. What is this talking? This is my flower and song. This is what I do to get my kicks. This is what I do as God. I found this thing for me. And the way I found it is I explain in my life purpose course. I go through the steps and the principles that I went through to create Actualize.org and solidify it for myself as my vehicle. Actualize.org is my vehicle for doing my song and dance and expressing my teotalized heart. And as I do it more and more, my heart becomes more and more teotalized. and the better and better and the deeper I can go with my work, the more my work can help to reveal teodal to you, the more that inspires me as I get feedback from that, and it creates this positive... Um, vicious cycle for me. And that's quite rewarding. And that's uh, <laughs> that's how I enjoy my life, is doing this work. Ta-da! <laughs> that's what's going on here. This is my art. Now, of course, your art has nothing to do with my art, per se. I'm not saying you need to become like me. I'm saying you need to become like me in the general sense, that you need to develop a teodalist heart, and you need to Connect deeper with Teodal and you need to find your artistic outlet, whatever that is, and ideally make that your career so that your work is doing something that you're proud of and that you find meaningful. And um, this actually becomes a spiritual pursuit. In Hinduism, they have something called karma yoga or bhakti yoga, where your spiritual path isn't to sit and to meditate or to do self-inquiry, but rather it's to participate actively in the world. And by doing something good for mankind, and doing it selflessly with your entire heart, that this in and of itself is supposed to produce a sort of enlightenment. Now, I'm personally um, not that big of a fan of the, of the idea that you can use karma yoga or bhakti yoga to become enlightened per se. Uh, I think that's a very indirect method, and many people who try to do it that way will fail. But I think that there's something very important to to the idea of of bhakti yoga and karma yoga. And really what that is, is life purpose. What the Hindus call bhakti yoga and karma yoga, I call life purpose. Really. That's your career. That's what your career should be as a human being. And then, of course, I think you still also need some uh, more direct forms of yoga, like self-inquiry or meditation, in order to to fully realize dayodal because you're probably not going to realize Teotl as the godhead just through your career. Next, quote, Acquiring a Teotlized heart and becoming knowledgeable of Teotl also requires that one be well-rooted, well-balanced, pure, authentic, and morally righteous, and that one possesses strength, self-control, moderation, and modesty. Humans must show humility and respect towards Teotl before Teotl discloses itself. So you see, a lot of you who are trying to pursue enlightenment are doing it from a place of inauthenticity, egotism, and therefore it's quite difficult. Now, I'm not saying you should stop trying, you should still probably try, but in many spiritual traditions, for example, what they tell you is that before you even begin to meditate, You already need to start uh, clearing out your head and clearing out your mind and following certain rules that they give you for living a pure life. Why is that? Because only by purifying yourself of various kinds of egotism that you have and selfishness and materialism do you open yourself up to the possibility of Teotl disclosing itself to you. Which is why many people who are deeply suck at atheism and rationalism and materialism and money and greed and sex and all of this, you know, it's impossible to talk with them about God. Because they're at a certain level of consciousness and development where they're not at the point where they can even entertain a serious conversation or teaching about how to reach God. They can't sit down and meditate. They don't see any point in it. Because it's, in their mind, is taking away time from having sex or watching porn or doing drugs or drinking alcohol or partying with their friends. right? So you've got to do this more basic, simple, self-improvement type of work before you can really start to listen to these higher teachings that I'm teaching now with Actualize.org. And so those of you who haven't done that work yet... This teotal stuff is going to be all over, way over your head. You got to go back and do some really simple kind of stuff like clean up your diet, stop certain addictions that you have, stop watching television, um, you know, stop being a jerk to your friends and to your family. (laughs) It's very basic stuff you got to start to do. Uh, Clean yourself up, in other words. Next, quote, the foregoing characteristics are not only epistemological, but moral and aesthetic as well. They not only help humans become knowledgeable and live wisely, they help them to live morally, authentically, purely, well-balancedly, and beautifully. Humans cannot become knowledgeable of Teodol without becoming genuine, pure, morally righteous and beautiful, and vice versa. In short, the process of epistemological self-improvement is also one of moral and aesthetic self-improvement. End quote. So that's everything that I just said, underscored. Next quote, humans and Teotl coexist in a moral interrelationship of reciprocity and becoming knowledgeable involves a morally regulated exchange with Teodal. When humans behave in richly prescribed ways, they may expect to attain those things which they come to merit. Wisdom emerges as a consequence of moral, come epistemological, come aesthetic interaction and co-participation with End quote. So, the better human being that you become, the easier it is for you to access Teotl. But many orthodox, stage blue religious people take this too far, and they spend all of their time and attention trying to be a good person. Which comes with lots of guilt and shame and various mechanical rules that you must follow. Doing various mindless rituals without raising their consciousness. And so they try to be a good person through mechanical means rather than by becoming more conscious. As you become more conscious, you will automatically want to become a better person. And that's what many orthodox religious people miss. So uh, be careful not to fall into that trap. But it is true, as all religions tell you, that you should be a decent person. And the reason that they tell you that, and they stress it so much, is that if you are living a chaotic life, in a chaotic family, in a chaotic community, where all sorts of egotism and mischief and devilry runs amok, various kinds of sinfulness, then your chances of ever really being able to actualize these higher teachings are going to be very, very low. And so in a sense, the purpose of old school religion is to create an environment within a social community, an environment where accessing teotal becomes possible for the average person and not just for the super hardcore yogi cuz the super hardcore yogi can just like go off and live in a cave and realize god not really a problem there will always be people like that the the really challenging problem societally speaking culturally speaking is how do we how do we get the rest of mankind who isn't that hardcore and isn't willing to sacrifice all the material luxuries of life, like family and sex and food and business and so forth, how do we get those people to realize Teodal? That's what's really hard. Next, quote, To the degree humans approximate balance and purity in their lives, they perfect their humanness and flourish. To the degree that they do not, they destroy their humanness and suffer beastly miserable lives. Teotl functions as the ultimate source and standard of intrinsic value, since beauty and purity are properties of Teotl. Teotl's own balance and purity are genuinely embodied and presented in well-formed Quetzal tail feathers, jade, and turquoise. One obtains this balance and purity by rooting oneself firmly and deeply in Teotl. quote. I love this. So, God's intelligence comes with this extraordinary beauty. And uh, the best way to see it is go look at some high-resolution photographs of animals. Look at the beauty with which animals are designed. You can take a peacock tail feather and just look at it. You can even buy one and just look at it and see the, the... the beauty of the design of it see the truth in the in the peacock tail feather or a butterfly or some bird outside your house or an iguana or a tiger or a even even a, a cat if you have a cat or a dog just try to see the beauty of their design they were designed by teotl see and so you can you can look everywhere throughout society and throughout life, and you can look at man made things, and you can ask yourself, how well does it mirror the genius of the designs of Teodol? And you can see that certain objects, certain electronics, certain computers, certain phones, are really, you might say, truthful or accurate to Teodol. And that's what makes them beautiful. And functional at the same time. And then there are other objects that are designed by, by hacks who are just trying to earn money and who have no artistic sense, no, no proper sense of design or sense of beauty or symmetry or, or balance or order. Uh, these people are disconnected from themselves and from Teotl, and therefore the designs are ugly, they don't function very well, they glitch, there's a bunch of problems in it, they have bugs, and you don't want to use them and you don't appreciate that they're beautiful because they're um, they're hideous Frankenstein monstrosities. And these, of course, quickly get replaced and uh, um, culled by natural selection, uh, and they get replaced by, by the beautiful stuff, outcompeted by the beautiful stuff, by the truthful stuff, at least in the long run. In the short term, of course, uh, there's a lot of ugly stuff out there, a lot of ugly designs that don't work very well. But um, you can see that what evolution is doing is evolution is teotl moving towards greater truth, consciousness, beauty, purity, and balance. Next quote. Morally appropriate conduct helps humans assume a face and develop a heart and enrich their lives. It helps them become authentically human. Morally inappropriate conduct, on the other hand, causes humans to leave their heart undeveloped, lose their face and impoverish their lives. The soundest, wisest course is moderation. One should neither do too much nor too little of anything, for example, eating, sleeping or bathing. Acting wisely consists of walking a middle path between these two extremes. End quote. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like maybe the Buddhist Middle Way? <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, Aristotle also talked about the uh, the Golden Mean. He talked about how to be a good human person, uh, human being. You need to find the balance between being um, too kind or too too mean spirited. You got to find the middle point between those two, or you got to be. Um, Find the, the, the balance point between being too rash or being too fearful. If you're too fearful, then you're a coward. If, you, if you're too brave to the point of being rash and, um, and uh, just, like, jumping into dangerous situations, that's also a problem. So you've got to find the middle point between that and so on across the line with all human qualities. Next quote. Immoral conduct causes an entity to suffer a loss of balance, which in turn causes it to suffer decay, disorder, randomness, and spoilage. Spoilage in humans, for example, typically results in physical or psychological disease. Quote. Today, in America and in Europe and all around the world, materialistic people are suffering from all sorts of diseases. Autoimmune conditions, dozens of different versions of them exist, Um, thyroid problems, uh, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, cancers of various kinds all throughout the body, Um, mental illnesses and dysfunctions from bipolar to depression to ADHD to schizophrenia, anxiety and panic attacks, heart attacks, heart disease, various kinds of MS, And uh, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. What is this? This is not just an accident. This is a byproduct of how you live your life. And right now we're living in a very diseased time where there's a lot of spoilage within humans. It of course starts with the things you put in your mouth, but it doesn't end there. It's also about how you use your body, how you use your mind, what kind of information you put in through your eyes and through your ears into your skull, Uh, what kind of people you surround yourself with, uh, what kind of community that you're a part of, what kind of activities you engage in and devote a lot of your focus and attention to, what kind of thoughts you have on a habitual, regular basis. Are they negative, toxic thoughts? Are they thoughts about hurting others? Are they thoughts about enemies and people that you demonize, judgments that you make, and so forth? Or are they positive thoughts? Loving thoughts? So right now we have a lot of spoilage within our society, both individually and collectively. Because we're out of touch, we're out of balance with our ecology, and with ourselves, and with Teotl. Next, quote. The Nahuas characterized education as the art of strengthening or bringing up of men, and the act of giving wisdom to the face. Humans are born incomplete and faceless, meaning without character, yet they are perfectible through proper education. Education aims at perfecting children by developing in them a wise face and strong humanized heart and fashioning their character into a well-smoked and precious turquoise this equips them with the means for keeping their balance on the slippery earth. End quote. You see, this is what true education is about. And I already talked about the problems of our education system, but here's heaping some more criticism on top of that. The point of school and university should not be to pass tests or to learn mathematics or English or science. But it should be to give children a face, to teach them how to live life, to teach them a proper sense of priority and perspective, to make them wise and strong and give them a teotalized heart and to show them a pathway to Teotl, to teach them how to be decent human beings. Not through indoctrination or through dogma, not through testing, not through memorization, not through mechanical rules. But through raising of their consciousness, teaching them how to think for themselves, teaching them how to do metaphysical and epistemic inquiry, teaching them how to connect with their artistic talents and how to express those, teach them how to be authentic, how to be truthful, teach them psychology, teach them how their mind works, teach them about self-deception. Teach them about the dangers of belief systems, and ideologies. In effect, (laughs) very self-servingly, everything that I talk about through Actualize.org. But why do I talk about these topics and not other topics? Precisely because the whole foundation of Actualize.org was me saying to myself, okay, what are the most important things in life that I need to know? Let me make a catalog of all of those things, which are not being talked about anywhere else. Not in school, not in most books, not in most magazines, not on most TV shows, not on most YouTube channels. Let me make a catalog of those. The highest human wisdom. And let me make it practical. And let me embody it and actually find techniques and actually do the techniques and actually do this stuff. Because I can't teach it without doing it. And that's what Actualize.org is. <laughs> Ta-da! So if you're some um, um, future educator, if you really want to change our education system, if you want to be a good teacher, a good professor, a good uh, guru, then this is what you got to understand. This is what you got to work on. Help our children to really be educated properly. Now, how do you do that? Well, that's a... That's a, that's a big problem. There's a lot of systemic obstacles in the way that I can't talk about here. But at least now you're starting to get the idea. And if you're one of those kids who never really liked school, found that it was boring or too technical or that you were never motivated to learn, uh, it's just because the school schooling was done in the wrong way. When you are doing education properly as we're describing it here, you're gonna be excited about it. You're gonna be passionate about it. You're gonna to want to buy books and go to courses and listen to seminars and and actually try techniques and do this. This is exciting and fascinating stuff. This is what it means to be human. This is why you were born, is to be constantly learning every single day, the most important aspects of reality and how to live a good life. But uh, I can certainly understand why why many many kids these days feel very alienated and. Um, disillusioned with our education system because it hardly teaches any of this stuff. But you know what the good news is? That you can teach it to yourself. The resources are all here. The books, the courses, the audios, the podcasts, it's all there but you have to take responsibility for it. Right now our society is not at a stage of development where it's just spoon fed to you and delivered to you on a silver platter. You have to create this high-quality education for yourself. And that's actually very exciting, so I highly recommend that you commit to educating yourself, whether you're young, whether you're still in high school, or whether you're older and you're you're past your college years and you think that you're done with education. No, (laughs) education has barely begun for you. Next, quote, In his or her capacity as educator, moralist, and role model, That is, as the teacher of people's faces. The sage is akin to an artist who skillfully shapes a formless block of stone into a beautiful statue. The sage shapes a child's faceless lump of human flesh into a genuinely human face and heart. End quote. So, that's what we're doing here. (laughs) Every time you're listening to me, that's what I'm trying to do to you. And how good I am at doing that directly depends on how closely... I am connected to Teodal. The closer I develop my connection to Teodal, the better I get at shaping you into somebody who is close to Teodal. And the more you do the practices, the closer you get to Teodal, the better this whole process works. Ta-da! Next quote. To possess a perfected, wise face and good heart is to exhibit sound judgment and sentiment. One's psychological, intellectual, and physical behavior promotes balance and purity and averts imbalance and impurity. The person with a good heart, humane and stout, is wise in the ways of Teotl. The person lacking such heart has an enshrouded heart. He is mad, foolish, and dull-witted. End quote. I think that's self-explanatory. Next, quote. Living wisely also requires performing ritual activities devoted to restoring lost balance and purity or to averting future imbalance and impurity. Such activities include penitence, mortification, and, quote, strengthening one's heart. End quote. And there is a large roster of various kinds of spiritual techniques that have been invented by all the various traditions for how to restore balance and purity into your life. So if you're addicted to drugs or you're stuck in a rut, you're lazy, you're addicted to pornography, you're depressed, you're miserable, so if you're stuck like this in life, what you need is you need to straighten out your heart. You need to find some kind of process for doing that, whether it's going to rehab center or doing some 5-MeO-DMT to rudely awaken you or going and living in the forest in a, in a cabin all by yourself for a month or doing a long meditation retreat or taking a Vipassana retreat or changing where you live, moving to a different city, moving to a different country, you know, whatever it is. Cultures all across time have had ritual techniques for how to straighten out one's heart and get back on the straight and narrow path towards Teoto. And, of course, in modern times, we have gotten disconnected from many of these ritualized techniques. We don't really have them in, in many modern cultures. They're considered antiquated. But also, of course, many of them are antiquated. You know, uh, like sacrificing a chicken or a pig, <laughs> the way they used to do thousands of years ago, Uh, may not be appropriate today. So we need to develop new rituals and new techniques for how to straighten one's heart. And of course, different problems of the heart require different straightening methods. So if you're addicted to drugs, you might need one method. If you're addicted to porn, you might need another method. If you're addicted to TV, you might need another method. Next quote. That which is aesthetically valuable or beautiful is also morally valuable and epistemologically valuable, and conversely, it is the well-rooted, well-balanced, true, disclosing, and pure. That which is aesthetically valueless or ugly is disordered, duplicitous, perverse, unbalanced, impure, and deceptive, since unrooted, undisclosing, inauthentic, and false. End quote. So, I already mentioned this with regards to art, how important this is to art. Your art can't be duplicitous and perverse and unbalanced or impure. Otherwise, it's not going to be considered good art, and you're not going to be proud of it. When you create art that you're proud of, it's well-rooted, well-balanced, true, disclosing, and pure. Please notice that. It's also loving, and it elevates the consciousness of mankind. Please notice that. But I want to extend this a little bit further than just art. Those of you who are into business, I want you to think of your business on these terms. Ask yourself, is your business, or if you don't run a business, is the business you participate in as part of your job or your career? So, for example, if you work at McDonald's or Starbucks, I want you to ask yourself, is the work that you're doing for this company, is the work that your business is doing, is it well-rooted, well-balanced, true, and disclosing of Teotal? Or is it disorder, disordered, duplicitous, perverse, unbalanced, impure, deceptive, and unrooted, inauthentic and false? Does it spread illusion or does it spread truth? It's not easy to create a job or a career or a business that is aligned with Teodal. It's hard enough to start a business as it is. But to start one that is aligned with Teodol, that's a tall order to fill. That takes a lot of work. took me a lot of thinking and strategizing to figure out how to do that. I talk about that in my life purpose course. If you own a business or whatever job or career you have, you need to figure out a way to align it with Teodol. Next, quote. Now, who is aesthetic views creative activity and its products in the following terms. First, creative activity and its products are aesthetically valuable if and only if they genuinely present and truly disclose to Yodel. Secondly, creative activity and its products are aesthetically valuable if and only if they contribute positively to the existing store of balance and purity in the cosmos. Works of art accomplish this by faithfully presenting and hence actually embodying balance and purity. That is, by literally being well balanced and pure. Third, aesthetically valuable creative activity and products must spring forth from a morally and epistemologically qualified, teotalized heart, and hence burgeon from and be well rooted in teotal. So, um, this is exactly what I was just talking about. But see, the problem with most modern art and business is that the people who are creating this business do not have a teotalized heart. They're disconnected from Teotl, and so the business that they, they do is illusion, untruth, and devilry. And same for their art. And it's harmful. It's out of balance and out of harmony with the environment and with humanity. And that's why we see a lot of ecological collapse. We see the coral reefs collapsing. We see insect populations collapsing. We see rainforests being stripped and mined and logged. And on and on and on it goes. We see fracking. We see wars fought over oil around the world, leading to deaths of hundreds of thousands of civilians, displacing millions of people, creating refugee crises, immigration problems. You see how it's all interconnected. And where does it all come from? Because the people in charge do not have a teodalized heart. And that's why spiral dynamic stage orange is so dangerous. That's why secularism and atheism and materialism and scientism and uh, technologism is so dangerous. When you think that you can just build a great society purely through technology and rationality. That's extremely dangerous. Actually, that will lead to the deaths of millions of people. Because the people who are doing that are obviously disconnected from Teotl. Because they deny Teotl. It's a serious pathology. Moving on. Quote, the accomplished artist is necessarily morally upright and knowledgeable of Teotl. Fools and rogues are incapable of creating beautiful works of art. End quote. And finally, quote, A life wisely lived offers humans a fleeting, momentary repose from the inevitable sorrow, suffering, and transience of earthly existence. It enabled humans, if only momentarily, to flower and sing. End quote. Does this strike you as a parallel with, for example, Buddhism, where Buddhism teaches that uh, life is suffering, material existence is suffering. That's because it is. And this has been recognized by spiritual traditions since the dawn of time on every continent around the world. And so the solution to this suffering and sorrow and to the impermanence of Material existence is to connect yourself with the one permanent true thing that there is, which is Teotl or your own true self. And if you are able to do that, then you can live the rest of your life beautifully, nobly, flower and song. See? And so you don't want to put off discovering Teotl. For late into late into your life, you want to discover Teotl now, so that your life can flower and sing, and so that you can minimize your own suffering and, of course, the suffering that you inflict on others, because the suffering you inflict on others is directly proportional to how much you suffer and how disconnected you are from Teotl. So there you go. I've read to you everything that I want to read. In conclusion, a few points. First of all, go check out the whole article. I recommend reading it over a couple of times. There's so much there. When I was reading it, I was highlighting and underlining pretty much all of it. I'll post a link down below where you can go check it out. It's really worthwhile to read it for yourself. It's sort of like a grounding spiritual text. And it gives you a very nice overarching encapsulation of Everything we're doing here gives you the really big picture of what you're supposed to be doing in life. This is it. Just follow this blueprint. It's very general, it's very abstract, but just follow this blueprint and you will have an amazing life. This is it. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Humans have tried sex and marriage and families and, and money and business. We've tried all this stuff and we know it doesn't work. This is the only thing that really works. Because you need to connect yourself with your own true nature. And your own true nature is teotal. You are teotal. How can you be satisfied in life? Even if you have lots of money and sex and everything else. How can you ever be satisfied when you are fundamentally disconnected from your own true source and nature? It's not possible. Which is why everything you try doesn't really work and doesn't alleviate your suffering. You've just been given here, in this episode, the keys to life. This is the master blueprint. I don't know what more you could want. This is the blueprint for how to become a sage, for how to become a visionary, leader, and incredible human being. Now it's up to you to actually go and to actualize it. And to find the concrete steps that need to be taken, the techniques and so forth, to make it happen. Which, of course, I share with you through all the other videos that I release. Also, I want you to appreciate what true religion is. I want you to really understand what religion is. Here, I've basically been describing Aztec religion, but it's no different than Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or Judaism or Jainism or anything else. The principles are all fundamentally the same. As long as you don't get caught up on the technicalities of bickering back and forth about who's right or what commandment to follow, you have to, you have to, you have to be able to see the essence, extract the essence out of the religion, whatever it is—Christianity or Islam or Buddhism. Extract the essence from it and ditch the the rest. Ditch the Bible, ditch the Quran, ditch the books, ditch the, ditch the scriptures. You don't need that. What you need is you need the high-level ideas, and then you need to techniques to embody that. And if you're a materialist or an atheist, then I want you to really think hard and really contemplate this question of, what is religion and why does it exist? It's very important that you have a proper understanding of what religion is and why it exists. And this silly answer that many materialists or atheists give, that religion is just some childish superstition mumbo-jumbo of the ancient past, which is no longer relevant today, that's not going to fly. That's complete horseshit. You're not appreciating. What religion is offering. You're not seeing the commonalities. Between all the religions. And you're not really appreciating. How significant it is. That. Billions of people in the world. Across all of human. Eras. And across all continents. Have had spirituality and religion. As a central. Pillar in their lives. Now granted a lot of it was dogmatic. Orthodox tribalistic, ethnocentric religion. And I'm no fan of that. But there's something there that you're missing, some kernel of truth that you're missing. What is that? Find that and then pursue that. And that will lead you to the best life that you can live. All right, that's it. I'm done here. Please click that like button for me and come check out Actualize.org. That's my website right there. You will find resources That presentation was provided by Actualized.org on their YouTube channel. The recording was fair use, intended for educational purposes, academic and scholarly intent only. Actualized.org. I'm the Beyond Top Secret Texan. This has been the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. This has been the New Moon Esoteric Occult Special about non dualism in Aztec philosophy. Thank you very much. Namaste, Angelo.